Call Spark FM at 617-272-3387. Two questions on this year's ballot will put more power in the hands of the people. Yes on one will give Boston residents more say on our multi-billion dollar budget and how our tax money is spent. Yes on three says you want Boston to change from an appointed to an elected school committee. Boston is the only place in the Commonwealth denied this basic civil right. Vote yes on one and yes on three. I'm Lisa Green, Bostonians for an elected school committee, paid for and approved this message. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music just like other families do over sports, camping, or other interests. And we talked. Little everyday conversations from silly to serious that built a foundation over time. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. And I was so grateful that you and mom had become these sober, stable people who were always there for me. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs, whether it's music or anything else. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Advertise your business brand or music on Spark FM. Contact us at sparkfmonline.com for more information. Now hiring. Brook Charter Schools is a network of five public charter schools serving grades K-12 through in Mattapan, Rosendale, and East Boston. We believe in providing all students with a high-quality education by ensuring that they have great teachers who build strong relationships and challenge them daily. We are hiring for several immediate positions, including bus monitors, paraprofessionals, associate teachers, and more. Apply today to join our team through our website at ebrook.org. That's E-B-R-O-O-K-E dot org. I'm Michelle Wu. As a DPS mom, caregiver, and an MBTA commuter, I'm running for mayor because this moment is a call to action. Together, we can create housing that is truly affordable, build the public school system our families deserve, and close the racial wealth gap. I've spent 10 years in City Hall working in our communities to deliver bold change. That's how we know it's possible. I'm Michelle Wu, and I'm running for mayor, so together, we'll make Boston a city that works for all of us. Paid for by the Wu Committee. Spark FM. Easy boy, make me dance. Daddy, oh, make me dance. Lighting the airwaves. Spark FM. Kafasa. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at sparkfmonline.com. Turn us. Spark FM.
Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative on Spark FM. I'm Crystal Haynes. Season two is coming in hot with an election special with Dequetta Van Zant, host of Politics and Prosecco in the house, Common Narrative. You all know this, but if you don't remember from last season, Common Narrative examines the media's effect on civic engagement across all lines of diversity and goes deep beyond the headlines of the stories impacting your everyday life. You know, residents of Boston are casting a historic vote for mayor of Boston and a new progressive city council. We break down the unique conditions that led to Boston electing its first woman of color to the mayor's office. Jaquetta, thank you so much for being with us here on Common Narrative. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for having this platform. Absolutely. And I want y'all to know, wait, hold on a second. I got to get in the front. <laughs> I want y'all to know that sis brought the Prosecco. Yes. 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 We are about branding. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Um, we're going to talk about politics and Prosecco in just a minute. Let me put this down. Right here. Don't let me get in or trouble for having liquids in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't uh, say a word. We won't. We won't. We're going to talk about politics and Prosecco in just a minute. But I want to dig into, it's election season. We're just a couple of days away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and already I heard that there are some shenanigans that are happening <laughs> with the mail-in ballots. So you got the two... Um, city city councilors uh, Michael Flaherty and um, uh, Ed Finn uh, Flynn, who was talking about how the, this temporary mailman threw away some ballots, and so they're like, "If you didn't get your mail-in ballot, don't try it now. You have to go in and vote in person." What do you think about this? Because I know the mail-in system is relatively new for folks in Boston and in Massachusetts. So I think it's very scary because what we've done in the past couple of years is really encourage people, especially senior citizens outside of the pandemic, to civically participate by mailing in their ballots. And so when we have things like this happen and they're not addressed right away, it sends a message that mail-in ballots don't work or that we should be suspicious of them. So I'm looking to see if any of the two campaigns are going to either make a statement about it or address the issue once they become, once they become mayor and are in office. Yeah, so it looks like I was just getting a message here because it sounds like we didn't have, uh, there was some issues, some technical issues. So I'm going to restart for folks in the top of the show. Okay. We're here with Common Narrative. I'm Crystal Haynes, season two coming in hot. Dakota Van Zant from Politics and Prosecco is here uh, and we are breaking down this election cycle. This is a historic um, election season and we're talking about electing the first mayor of color. Um, I want to talk about the racial makeup for this race though. Um, Harvard Political Review, uh, according to them, Boston has only ever elected a white man as mayor. Uh, and it has started with John Phillips in 1822, the last mayor being Marty Walsh, elected in 2014. Um, there has been a 192-year succession of white mayors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, And they've only ever been Irish American or Italian American. Well, let's be honest, that has been the makeup for Boston. Mm -hmm. Like we, we can't assume that um, that Boston has been diverse because it, it hasn't been. So, I mean, I think it's a very dangerous space for a lot of us to be in by saying like, oh, well, you know, it's only been white men. That has been the makeup of the political structure here in Boston. We can't take that away from the Irish population or the Italian population who have put roots down mm -hmm. here, um, you know, as far back as to when it was Bay County. Um, outside of that, 
Boston has become diverse, but our voting power has not been um, at the top level. We still have a very poor, low voter turnout in communities of color, specifically the Black community. And if we broke it down into districts, District 7 is one of the lowest voting populations in the city. So if we're going to talk about diversity and we're going to be real about electing a person of color, a mayor of color, a woman, um, someone of LGBT um, that identifies as LGBT, we have to be real about the fact that our voters need to be held accountable for their um, lack of voting. Mm. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that because, you know, for the first time we had a mayoral race, well, most, if not all of the folks were people of color, right, in the primary. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had two black women right. in um, Andrea Campbell and uh, Kim Janey, who's the interim mayor now. And the, I think the thought was that black folks are going to come out and they're going to vote no. and they're going to put a black woman in this office. No. See, the issue with that was, so first of all, let me just give a shout out to Andrea Campbell and mm -hmm. Michelle Wu for being bold enough to challenge the system. Mm -hmm. If you came in after that, I don't give you as many accolades because <laughs> you came in and you were okay with the system. Now you want the system to change because you're running. But Andrea and Michelle were the first two out the gate to say, we're not taking this anymore and we are going to come in and be bold and be proactive and, and run for office. So let me just start by saying that. Secondly, the problem with too many people running I mean, too many people of color running is that it does split the vote. And, you know, look, we could have, we can Monday morning quarterback all day on Wednesday and I already got my stuff lined up to say. Um, but, you know, I think what we saw was there still wasn't a push for people to come out and vote. Just because you're black, just because you're a woman does not mean that you automatically get my vote. I am not interested in the identity politics of it. I'm interested in what you've done and where you're going. And quite frankly, many of these people didn't have a record to run on. And so we held that, we held them accountable for that. And, you know, we see who made it past the primary. We were talking about the Italian American and the Irish American population in Boston. Are they just more organized? No, the I, black and brown communities. No, because black and brown communities have been progressive. We've been growing our own food, selling our own clothes, and yeah. like being, um, being a lot, uh, being radical before it was a cool thing to be. It's not that we're more organized. It is that we don't have a cohesive message. When you think about the voting block for this election, there are three different generations voting right now, just as if there are three different voting blocks, uh, three different generations in the workplace. You have boomers. Boomers vote based on identity. They vote, they vote along racial lines. They vote along gender lines. Why? Because this is a generation that has been scarred by this country on so many levels. And so their distrust um, is how they vote. They vote based on those things. Um, you have African-Americans of the boomer generation who are scarred by the civil rights movement. You have white women who are scarred by the women's movement of the 70s. You have uh, white men who have been scarred by the Vietnam War, many of them taken from it. So, and, and this is also a generation that in 10 years saw Malcolm X, MLK, RFK, and JFK blown away. So this is a generation that still votes based on identity and how they feel. Millennials, middle-class millennials, and millennials for people who still haven't figured it out are now 35 to 42. They're getting married, having kids, buying homes, and they, they, vote, they base their vote on values. What is this going to get me in the end? That is how millennials think. Mm -hmm. What is we're very transactional yeah. as a generation, which is 
has its perks and it also has its <laughs> distractions. Hey, that's true. That's true. Um, and then you have Gen Z. Gen Z is an issue-based voting block. They are everything. We don't want to be labeled, but we're going to label ourselves. We're mad at everybody, but we're not angry at everyone. They vote on things that are the issues of the moment. And so right now their issue is defunding the police or social injustice. And so they're going to vote on those lines. So until the candidates, no matter if it's on the local level, the state or the federal, until they figure out how to message individually to those voting blocks, mm. we're not going to have a cohesive message. Now, has that changed over the years? So I'm thinking of a Stacey Abrams. I'm thinking of the way we are organizing differently than before. Like this is not your grandfather's election cycle. No. And it hasn't been for, for a while now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what Stacey Abrams did differently was Stacey Abrams had built a coalition. Mm. She built a coalition of thought partners who understood what people were asking for. We haven't exactly done that in Boston. Why? Because everybody wants to be the chief thought partner. Yes. And, yep. and that's uh -huh. not a good place to and be. And an award and a write-up in the magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and look, I, I think you should have as many, you know, awards on your wall as possible. I, I'm not interested in things like that because those awards don't turn out votes. That's right. And so, and that's the same thing with endorsements. You see a lot of people endorsing Michelle and what Michelle should be cautious of is those endorsements, some are good and some people just have their own agenda. And when it's time to pay up, you know, these people are going to want what they want. Mm -hmm. And then if she doesn't deliver, then they're going to turn against her. Same thing with Anissa. If you don't deliver on some of these things that you have told people you would do, there are certain folks in that endorsement block that are going to make you pay. And, and the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people use Facebook as their platform. So I, I don't think it's we're not organized. I don't think it is that we just don't have our stuff together. We just don't have a cohesive message and we don't build coalitions mm. and not everybody has to be at the table. Right. Some of us could be building it. Mm -hmm. Some of us could be waxing it. Some of us could be setting it. Like you don't have to be at the table. We, we certainly need certain people there. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of these major issues. Like you and I co-moderated a forum with the Urban League of Eastern Massachusetts. Shout out Dr. Motley. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Boston 25 and, and, yes. and Partnership Inc. And um, it was a great forum. Um, a lot of the questions are questions that the candidates had been asked before, but mm -hmm. I don't know that the answers were anything that folks really hadn't heard before or feel like, um, you know, that, that they may deliver on some of those promises. And the reason what, one of the things I ask, uh, I bring up is mass and cast. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of folks all of a sudden have plans on how to deal with this, but where were those plans 10 years ago when right. it was a problem? Yeah. Well, that's why one of the questions that was asked is, you know, give us a tangible result of the things mm -hmm. you've done while you've been in office. And let's be, let's be honest. If you didn't, if you don't live near mass and cast, you don't care about it. Mm -hmm. I now live in Roxbury. I live two blocks from Mass and Cass. I could walk to Mass and Cass from my house. However, Mass and Cass isn't the issue. The issue is what the state did by cutting out services to people who were suffering from addiction or mental health. There's no accountability from the municipal office to the state office. And because of that no accountability, we now have Mass and Cass. What the city could say and what 
uh, Michelle and Anissa, who are both at-large candidates. So Massacast is their district. What they could say is, look, we didn't do our due diligence. We didn't think this was an issue or it just wasn't a priority for us. That kind of honesty gets people like me who are still undecided mm -hmm. to the ballot to say, okay, at least she has a plan. But nobody has said that. It's been a lot of, well, I have a plan for Mass and Cast, but there's no accountability. And I think now people want accountability. That's all. And that's simple. I, I liken politics to a lot of dating. If you do something wrong in a dating cycle with whomever it is that you're dating, an apology will get you so much further than you ignoring it as if it never happened. Yes. And I think that's the same issue with politics. Apologize and move forward. Don't sit there and act like, well, you'll get over it and I'm never going to mention it. No need to talk about it. No, there's a need to talk about it. I need to know why you didn't deliver. That's that's the issue. I, I, I'm thoughtful of the Long Island Bridge and that as a conversation. I remember, because I've been um, reporting in Boston for 10 years, a little bit over 10 years. And when that bridge was, when Long Island was closed and the bridge was going down or being demolished, um, folks were raising up the red flags, like where, what, where are we going to send people who right. are homeless and how much can a Pine Street Inn or a different shelter absorb right. the homeless population? Mm -hmm. Do you think that that added to this issue on Mass and Cass? I definitely think it does. But here's what Marty Walsh got right that everybody mm. else keeps getting wrong. He understands the mindset of the state house because he was a state rep. I don't know specifically if that part of Dorchester was in his district. I don't know because Dorchester gets cut up so much, but he understood a lot of the psychology behind it. And he would go after those people at, at the state house. He understood how to talk to them. He understood what was being talked about in those back rooms because the city council hasn't built relationships with the state house, the at-large council is in particular they have no idea that they actually have to work in collaboration with the state. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Mayor Koch might do. I have no idea. He has made it very clear that this is not his monkey, not his circus. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think, you know, and I, I used to live in Quincy before I, before I moved to Roxbury, I lived in Quincy just a year ago. Um, and it is very clear to the city councils in Quincy that they're not going to touch this. So right. it is Boston's issue and Boston has to figure it out. Well, how much, is it possible for Boston to entice those surrounding communities to take some of these, you know, methadone cl clinics or other services? I don't even think it's a question of permission. I oh, think okay. I, I really don't. Yeah. I think, again, for me, going back to collaboration with those state reps, Tacky Chan is a state rep mm -hmm. in Quincy. Um, I believe Donald, no, not Donald Wong. Uh, so Tacky Chan, Ian Kane is on the city council there. Nina Leong is on the city council there. I hope she runs for mayor one day. I would start talking to them now. As the transition happens, mm -hmm. I would start talking to them now. How do we build a collaboration? What is it that we can use for services? What happens in Hingham? What happens in, um, what's that little, the quarry over there? Um, there's there's a lot of work that can be done, but there's been no talking. It's just been Quincy has said one thing, Boston has said another. That doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I'm interested also with the the idea of like Sheriff, Sheriff Tompkins, who is on the front lines of this, right? Including mm -hmm. the people who live in there yep. and the kids, the little ones that go to Orchard Garden School right. yep. who pick up needles every day. That's right. That's um, right. They're all on the front lines of this. But Sheriff Tompkins said, hey, listen, why don't you use this open building that I have and put and house folks there? 
And people were concerned about that, putting these homeless folks or these folks who are unhoused right now mm -hmm. in a prison facility. Uh, so I think the narrative is what everyone keeps getting wrong. Mm -hmm. He has not said that this is a prison. He has been the only one, quite frankly, that has given, um, that has come up with an actual solution. He has the space. He has the resources. All he needs is for everybody to get on board with it. Um, it's not a prison. And I, I understand that that narrative is an easy one to do. It's like, oh, well, he's a sheriff. He puts people in jail. And what he's saying is I have a I have a facility here. Mm -hmm. Like, let's use it. I think the reason why it's easy to say it's prison, because then it puts the elected officials off the hook by actually having to do the work right. to make sure that it's not a jail and that it is a right. comparable, equitable, accessible facility to house these people who are fighting um, what is really a lifelong addiction. I mean, I think it also says something about our great, our, the larger society, right? Like the idea that methadone mile even exists at all. The fact mm -hmm. that, that they have all these, a tent encampment right there on mass and cast in a place like Boston, where the incomes are high, mm -hmm. the resources are high. The, we get often national attention by, you insert like foundation. Yeah. So I think it's also one thing that we have to be forward facing about is how does mass and cast exist in a place like Boston? Mass and cast is just the amplified portion that we see. Yeah. There's a mass and cast in High Park. Mm. There's a mass and cast in the South End. There's a mass and cast in Dorchester. That's the only one that's amplified. Why? Because it's right off the highway. Mm -hmm. It's right where a tourist section begins. So Boston doesn't want this stain on it. The fact that we're not actually talking about the broader aspect of addiction and where to house people, that is what's bothersome to me. There's a mass and cast in every part of this city. Um, you know, another, another place for that is Blue Hill Ave. Yeah. If you go down Blue Hill Ave at night, if you're not seeing hookers and hoes and all this, you know, I, I've seen pimps. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I, I have. The combat zone moved from yes, Tremont Street. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say this with the lens of a daughter of a retired cop. Mm -hmm. It's easy to recognize an element. And so Blue Hill Ave has that same element. It's just not amplified because Blue Hill Ave sits in a black community. Mass and Cass sits in a part of the city that has hospitals and universities, and they don't want people coming there and seeing that because it doesn't retain talent. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the T and I know that this has been right. Michelle Wu, this has been her platform for right. many years, yeah. right? I, following her on her social, she's like, this is what my commute is. When, when many city councilors took that pledge to commute to the work on public transportation, she kept doing it mm -hmm. with, with her sons. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you, you hear about the investment in the T and yeah. then the conversation around the rate hikes, do you think that if someone who rides the tea every day and that's their issue, they're going to automatically vote for Wu? No. Mm. Um, so so here, here's the thing with the tea. Right. Because oh, it just bothers me. I think it's a dope platform to have. So shout out to Michelle Wu for even being innovative and in thinking about the tea and the long-term effects of it. The tea doesn't work. It mm. just doesn't work. Mm. And 
I so as I said, I lived in Quincy, so I would commute from Quincy into downtown when I worked at the State House. And if it was a snowy day, I don't care if it was a light dusting. And for those people who are not in New England, a light dusting is like two to three feet of snow. <laughs> <laughs> There's a light dusting. The tea would shut down. Yeah. So they would raise the rate rates all the time, but nothing got, we didn't have any new trains or the trains that were new. There were like only two because we could only afford to. So my issue was, isn't necessarily that those people will come out to vote for her. I think the issue of the T is it's not equitable. Yeah. The 28 goes from Mattapan into downtown, into Roxbury, and it takes 45 minutes to go 2.7 miles, mm. 2.7 miles from Mattapan Square to Dudley Square. So if I am a frontline worker and I have to be at work and I miss a 28, because the other problem is the employees, sometimes they don't come in the, there's a bus route. That's, that's late. You're now late for work. It is your only access into the city. There's no commuter rail that runs out of Mattapan. The Fairmount line doesn't go anywhere near Mattapan. And there aren't even enough equitable stops inside of High Park. So I grew up in High Park. I grew up right on Reddy Avenue. And now that area is booming. I mean, it was always dope to me. But, like, <laughs> but you know, now they're thinking about putting the commuter rail there. Mm -hmm. And I grew up on, you know, a middle class street. Everybody was a homeowner there. So everyone had cars. Yeah. We didn't have to take the T. But when I was in high school, I would I went to the O'Brien. So I would have to get up at 6 a.m. and take either the 24 or the 33 out of High Park to the to Mattapan, get on the 28, take another half an hour ride into Roxbury. That's out, that's outrageous. And I don't think it's it's the issue of the T raising the rates. It's having equitable access to the T. And communities of color don't have that equitable access. So if that's her message, she needs to message it around equitable access as opposed to we need to just fix the T. Right. Well, I mean, is it feasible to make the T free? Because that's that's also one of the things that came up. And, you know, Anissa Sabi George was was saying, listen, we can't make the tea free. We right. can't afford that. But yeah. advocates, including Michelle, who have said we can, we can do it if we want to. So here's the thing. Politics lesson, people. <laughs> Nothing in this country is free. No, it is not. You will pay for it eventually. Yeah. And making the tea free will come out of someone's paycheck some other time. It's just like the stimulus check. That money ain't free, y'all. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to pay the piper on that. So I don't think it's making it free. I think having, you know, good service and people paying for good service is really what the the, the conversation sh should be. It can't be free. We just can't. We can't afford it. And this is right. We cannot afford it. And we haven't. No one is being honest about where that money is going to eventually come from. Mm-hmm. It's the same conversation that people are having about evictions right now. There were plenty of people, including electeds of color, saying, don't pay your rent. We're going to put an eviction moratorium. Not thinking to say to these people, if you don't pay your rent, then your landlord can't pay the mortgage. Then you're homeless. Then what? Nobody has said And when the that. moratorium is lifted, you're going to owe all that back rent and they will take you to court and evict right. you. Right. And, mm -hmm. and they have that right. Yeah. Um, because- <laughs> banks don't want to hear your excuse. Mm -hmm. They just want their money mm -hmm. and rightfully so. And so I think, you know, this is what I'm starting to see more of in 
and politics is people are saying the right things, but they stop the conversation when they know they actually have to go a little bit further. The question around evictions or making the tea free is what happens after? What comes next? My boss has a big, um, he's a process guy, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. I am macro. So having to learn how to be a process person and operationalize things makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm just like, okay, but this is step one and we're going to get to 10 and I'm going to make it happen as opposed to taking it step by step. And I think that that's what Michelle has to do is talk about what happens if we make the tea free. Here are all of our pros. Here are all of our cons. And I don't think she's done that yet. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, see you on the other side. This is Common Narrative on Spark FM. I'm Michelle Wu. As a BPS mom, caregiver, and an MBTA commuter, I'm running for mayor because this moment is a call to action. Together, we can create housing that is truly affordable, build the public school system our families deserve, and close the racial wealth gap. I've spent 10 years in City Hall, working in our communities to deliver bold change. That's how we know it's possible. I'm Michelle Wu, and I'm running for mayor, so together, we'll make Boston a city that works for all of us. Paid for by the Wu Committee. You are now listening to Spark, Spark, Spark FM. Advertise your business brand or music on Spark FM. Contact us at sparkfmonline.com for more information. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma... If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Now hiring. Brooke Charter Schools is a network of five public charter schools serving grades K-12 through in Mattapan, Rosendale, and East Boston. We believe in providing all students with a high-quality education by ensuring that they have great teachers who build strong relationships and challenge them daily. We are hiring for several immediate positions, including bus monitors, paraprofessionals, associate teachers, and more. Apply today to join our team through our website at ebrook.org. That's E-B-R-O-O-K-E dot org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Greater Rosendale Medical and Dental Center provides primary care for your whole family. We are currently accepting new pediatric and adult patients and offer same-week appointments, as well as Spanish-speaking providers. Call us at 617-323-4440 to schedule your appointment today. Visit our website at www. Rosendale.org and our Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Greater Rosendale for more information.
FM. All right, everybody, we are back. Common Narrative on Spark FM. Thank you, everyone, for uh, for joining us here today. We are here with Jaquetta Van Zandt of Politics and Prosecco. Listen, I'm going to pull the bottle over. I don't care who sees me. We got the, we, we might be popping bottles in here. We later. should be popping bottles. We should up be in here. in here. But then right. Danielle might might be upset because because of all the and we want to respect this in her bag. We do. We, we do. do. We, we <laughs> but we appreciate it. You know, she she didn't come empty handed, so we appreciate it. All right. So we're talking about the Boston mayoral elections, and I do want to talk about the city council race, right? Because oh, okay. I think right eclipsed by <laughs> this mayoral race mm. and you have some incumbents running for their seat again yeah you have some other folks who are running for at large that we have not seen before yeah do you think yeah. the primary election for the boston mayor's seat like that looked more attainable so it it encouraged other folks from the community to step up and try to uh you know take their shot so let me say that the uh city council races are way more sexier than the mayor race for me mm. um and a lot of it is because we do have new people running um we have a different element running uh and you know if we broke down now what do you each, mean by that well i mean that there are there are people who believe that they are activists and should run for office yep. activists and electeds don't match mm. You can be passionate, um, but when you get up there and realize, for instance, when you get to the city council and you realize that you have very limited power, all your squawking is is not going to translate well. You have to be able um, to make friends. And what a lot of these candidates need to understand is that you have to be collaborative and you have to go in there humbling yourself. You don't know everything. Um, as a staffer at the White House, on Capitol Hill, on, on Beacon Hill, what I know is that the staff are the smartest people in the building. Uh, your elected can be smart, but it is the people who are writing the policy, people who are researching the legislation. And so surrounding yourself with people and trusting that they're going to get the job done for you is what's important. And the reason why I say that is because I have seen candidates during this cycle belittle, um, talk down to voters and their staff as if they have all the answers. And I can guarantee you, I can predict with my little crystal ball <laughs> that they will not last because being an activist is different from being an elected official, just as being a politician is different from being an elected officials. Elected officials get things done. Mm. Politicians talk about getting things done. There's a difference. So when we're talking about this race, you have a, a mixed bag of folks then. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are definitely some standouts, right? Like David Halbert, standout candidate. Um, uh, Carla Montero, standout candidate uh, for at-large. Um, they are going to bring the heat for sure. Um, you know, when you talk about the different districts, you see people like Kendra Hicks stepping up. Mm. Um, I don't know Kendra, never met her a day in my life. I like what she has to say. I think that she has some room to grow. Um, just as all of them do. When you think about District 7, you have Tanya Anderson running against Roy Owens. Um, <laughs> you know, District 7, whomever takes that seat, whether it's Tanya or Roy, that district needs so much attention because, again, it is the lowest voting district. It is also the district that is least um, given resources. Mm -hmm. That district is going to need not only an advocate, not an activist, an advocate. 
but they're going to need somebody who can work well with everybody on the city council and the state house. And if that district doesn't have that, I live in district seven now, maybe I should run. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you heard it here first. Hey, <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, so do you think that this will then affect the decision-making of the city council by having some of these folks in the seats? Now, the, the council is already extremely progressive already. I, I can't imagine it getting more progressive, but. I actually don't think the city council is progressive at all. Really? Okay, no, tell, I me, don't. tell me. Um, and so let me just uh, bring it back to the question. I think it's ballot one. Yeah. Uh, the ballot question one, which is about the budget. The reason why I would be voting no against this is because giving people the power for um, the budget could screw up our bond rating. And I don't think people are talking about that enough. And I'm almost sure many people don't even know what the bond rating is. Now, I only happen to know about the bond rating because I worked for Dr. Spicer as her senior advisor. So I understood how bond ratings work. Um, but Dr. Spicer being the first black mayor. The first black elected popular mayor. Yes. Um, in, and yours truly <laughs> helped her get there. Love it. Um, but um, I don't think the city council is progressive because... Um, this, a lot of them came at a time where we were in the middle of a presidential race or we were gearing up for one. We were trying to come out from under a dark cloud called Trump. Mm. And so we, uh, people didn't get a chance to really put their best foot forward. And so we didn't see a lot of action from them. Um, and their, prog their policies aren't progressive. They're just liberal leaning. Progressive is actually being able to produce tangible results that make things equitable across the board. And what we know is that housing is not equitable across the board in the city of Boston. What we know is jobs are not equitable. We're not retaining talent here in Boston. So those are progressive ideals. That has not happened. What about schools? Because we know that it has been a rough go for these kids in school. Like people are fighting, you know, yeah. one poor little boy, he got a concussion on the bus because kids were acting crazy. And, and we know yeah. that coming back meals are a problem because of supply chain issues. And then you had dang near the whole, um, you know, Boston school committee get shooken up because of, because of the, the policies coming out of there. I mean, how does a new council tackle that? How does a new mayor tackle that? Well, Back to ballot two now. Yeah. <laughs> ballot question two is about electing. I'm in favor of electing a hybrid school committee. Some appointed, some elected. Um, because what we've seen in the past is we've had people on the city council whose kids are not even in city uh, Boston public schools. Mm. And so how can you advocate for a school system that you yourself either don't have your children in, don't believe in, um, or um, you're not benefiting from those services? So I think the city council coming in is first going to have to look at the structure of how the city council is right now. And they're going to have to make sure that they put people in there who understand education. There's no reason why a business person needs to be on the city council, uh, the, the um, school committee. Mm -hmm. We need people who understand education or educators. Mm. That will make a huge difference. We need people who understand curriculum. We need people who understand um, educational policy. Critical race theory is going to come up. Who's talking about that? The city council hasn't even talked about critical race theory yet. Um, and that that's going to come up. So 
do you think that the mayor ends up being in a tight spot or, or has to sort of please a diff different sectors of the city when they're trying to get the school committee in a direction that is different? I mean, there was a reason why our school committee became appointed, right? Yeah. It came out of a extremely racist um, situation that happened, the bus rides, things sure. like that. So we had to appoint folks because mm -hmm. it was getting crazy. But as a mayor who has to serve many different masters, you know, the business sector, the um, ap uh, activists, the parents, mm -hmm. um, things mm -hmm. like that, the nonprofits that actually pour money into this budget. Yeah. How do you restructure the school committee in a way where you can please everybody? So I think uh, that this is something that the mayor absolutely should delegate down to the city council mm. because the mayor's job is going to have to find a superintendent that one is going to stay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and two is going to bring a fresh outlook. Um, I loved Chang, superintendent mm. Chang. I loved him. I thought he was, I thought he was dope. I really did. But then I what happened? I think he fell on the sword for a few people. Mm. Um, and what the superintendent will need is the mayor as a, a good backup, um, not someone who's going to either compete for that same power. But listen, we need somebody like Chang. We need somebody like uh, Superintendent Johnson, who came from Memphis. Mm. Um, we need people who understand that the school committee is just the, the foundation of what happens, what, who becomes citizens, um, productive citizens in Boston. So yeah, I would delegate that down to the city council. Y'all's problem, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> here's a, here's a big, another big nebulous issue is the wealth gap in Boston. Um, every time I tell people about the statistic, they don't believe me. And then I have to tell them that it's true. The, the, the wealth for black families, $8, the wealth for a white family or, or is $249,000, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is incredible. <sighs> and, and so I think I always try to tell folks, let's break down the word wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's different. Right. And then also let's talk about systematic racism. So the issue that I have with the wealth gap that the globe put out, yeah. um, is it doesn't really talk about all black families. Mm. Um, and I'm certainly, I'm going to fall on the sword and speak from a place of privilege. Um, I don't, I'm not married. I have no children. My money stacks very differently from somebody who's my age with a husband and children. Mm -hmm. So of course the numbers would, would skew differently. Um, I don't fit into that realm of an $8 net worth. Um, I now have an asset that has taken me outside of that. However, I don't think that it's telling the whole story. Um, I think it needed to be broken down into um, age and then talk about gender single women who are single black women who are raising households with four and five children. Yeah. Their money's going to stack a little bit differently. So their net worth will be different than a woman who is with one child. Um, so I don't, I I'm, I'm actually tired of hearing that statistic because yeah. I don't think it gives the whole photo. Hmm. What about it in the context of, uh, this election cycle in terms of does it help the candidates frame what needs to be happening in the city of Boston to uplift families? No, because the wealth and, and health gap, both the wealth and the health gap, um, is 
that has always been part of the talk about systemic racism. Systemic racism still exists, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is. Um, we thought our generation would be the generation that was post-racial, but we're not because we boomers were the only generation that gave birth to two generations. They gave birth to Gen uh, X and they gave birth to millennials. Mm. So that alone is why we'll never be post-racial because boomers aren't post and they won't be and they refuse to be. When we see the health and the wealth gap will be with, with Gen Z because they will be post-racial um, and, and they do think in those terms. And they are the only ones that are, if you look at them now, they have many side hustles, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have a nine a nine to five or a nine to three, as some say. I got a nine to three, but I also tell, sell t-shirts on the side. I got myself a little online store where I'm selling like candles. Like they have a bunch of side hustles. So they understand multiple streams of income. They are not afraid of failing. So I think that that's going to change. I think the way the candidates should think about systemic racism is not within just the wealth and the health gap. It's more so what is it in education that we're not doing to prevent more racist acts or policies that come down the, the pike? Teachers of color are becoming rare, oh, more yeah. rare than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. um, there was something that went around on like Facebook that said like, you know, how old were you when you heard your first black teacher? Well, I lived in Boston. I went to school in Roxbury all my life. So I had my first black teacher um, in the fifth grade. Uh, she, her name was Gail Marrow. Um, there was Miss Jones. There was Miss Bino. When I got to high school, there was, you know, uh, my, everybody at O'Brien had either a postgraduate degree and they were black. So I didn't experience that. However, if you, uh, grow up and you went to Metco schools, that might be your story, but the educational, um, resources were different. And so you, you might've had an advantage if you went to a Belmont high or, you know, a prep school somewhere. So I, I think that they need to think about it in terms of education and systemic racism that way. And that will lay the foundation and how they, how they roll out policies, in my opinion. So as we look towards the future, what do you see as races, the, the next mayoral race looking like, what do you see as the next city council race looking like, like, are we going to see another, another wave of progressive, folks, progressive, progressive folks of color, or are we <laughs> going to see the pendulum swing back because we elected Barack Obama and then we elected Donald Trump? Um, so let me just say millennials, uh, elected Barack Obama, not a we, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I definitely, there will always be a Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is a Strom Thurmond of our generation. Mm. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry, not Strom Thurmond. Um, the brother who was shot in the back, I can't think of his George. Um, Oh God, I can't think of his name. He was the governor of Alabama, but okay. he ran for president and was shot in the back. Um, so there will always be Donald Trump's. Um, I think the racial makeup of whomever runs for mayor next time, um, I think we will see the same thing. Mm. It will be more women of color stepping up as opposed to men of color. So what we need to do is amplify and build a platform for brothers to feel like they're a part of the civic process and that they have a voice at the table as well. Um, I think you'll see a lot of these ambitious candidates that are running for city council step up and want to run for mayor. Mm. Um, we should be in a space where we're challenging the current incumbent. 
We should absolutely, we should not be asking for permission to run. We should not wait our turn. If something isn't going right, you change it. And I think that that's what we should do. Do you see this happening in other small cities and towns? Like I'm thinking of, I uh, live in Arlington mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, and there's not a lot of brown folks here, yeah. but let's get involved in city government and town government. And let's see how we change that from the inside out. And the biggest lesson I learned was there was space for movement there. Like it had been run a certain way for so long that those mm -hmm. folks, the boomers, they were dying off. They're like, I don't have energy for this. We don't even have a website together. Can Not you do this? And, <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, folks are moving to, to out farther and farther. And I found that the, 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 the halls of government were wide open. Cause they're like, do you know how to work a computer? Do you know how to do it? I'm kidding. That's no. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, they were open to new energy. Yeah. That's what they want. They want the energy. And so it allows for a space for people of color, families of color to yeah. get involved in politics where they hadn't been. Massachusetts isn't exactly as liberal as people think it is. Mm. So we have a ways to go when we talk about diversifying our electorate. Um, I often feel bad that we put a lot of pressure on Ayanna Presley to be our voice. Yes. Um, and she's the only person up there. Someone else needs to run for Congress. Um, and, it, and listen, I'm not saying run against her because that ain't have it, <laughs> but we certainly need to have, we need to send her some help. We need to, she can't carry this load alone. It's not fair to her. It's not fair to us because she won't be able to get everything done right. and some things will fall through the cracks and then it's going to be a whole blame game. So I think what we should do is we need, like I said, back to our table, we need a table of people, of thought partners who put in place a timeline or a pipeline. Okay, Crystal, you're going to run for Arlington School Committee in two years. But in order to do that, I need you to go to Framingham and support Mayor Spicer and build up a base. Okay, Mayor Spicer, now your term is up in the next like four years. What I need you to do is start building out people for that Senate seat. Bring in the Metro West. Like how many other people do we, like that's what we need. What we have right now is people working in silos. I live in Boston. I'm only going to worry about Boston. When Boston politicals talk, I do not listen because if you can't walk into Springfield and have Justin Hurst tap you and say, I need you to get this done, mm. then you don't know politics. Politics is not just the six blocks from your door. It's the entire Commonwealth. If you're talking about black police brutality and you're not talking about DJ Henry, please stop speaking to me mm. because we had a Mike Brown here and his name was DJ Henry. So I don't think that we are being um, cognizant that we're not having long-term conversations about politics, which is exactly what a lot of people do anyway. This is what the Republicans do so well that Democrats haven't figured out. A Republican will say, okay, I'm 6,003 years old. I'm going to die. <laughs> and I'm going to tap Jimmy, who yes. works in my office. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, you're going to run for my seat. You're going to come with me to every event. You're going to get on every podcast, every interview, you're going to be there because you're going to run and I'm going to make sure you win. Jimmy then wins. And it's just a, a continued rhetoric of the, the previous person. That's what Republicans do so well. Democrats will die in the seat. <laughs> they don't care. They will die. Right, in the right. Seat. Um, and we need new young blood. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as an ageist because we want to respect people who have put skin in the game, mm -hmm. but no one is good at their job. 20 years in. 
Mm. Nobody, which is why we have term limits. And that's the other conversation that we have to have. Yes. Congress is never yes. going to approve term limits because who wants to be like, yeah, fire me in two years. It's great. Right. Like none right. of that. But we do need term limits because there's no reason why you're getting rich off the American people. And it's like, it's like pastors who drive BMWs while their congregants are taking the bus to church. And then we got a building fund. Well, brother, turn in your BMW. I'm sure we get a couple of thousand off that. <laughs> so like, so I, I just think that there's a, there's a whole, that, that's such a broader conversation. Do you think the media gets it right in making sure that folks who need to be at the ballot box or are mailing in their votes um, and they weren't thrown away by a temporary postman? <laughs> um, <laughs> we talked about Keep that story. It out there. Don't do it. <laughs> um, so do you think the media gets it right in making sure that the electorate or the folks who, who want putting people in these places of power are informed well enough? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I think the media elected Donald Trump. I think the more you give somebody a platform, the more um, traction they get, the more traffic goes to them. Um, I think the media has done, in Boston, I think the media has done a very good job of keeping the, the voters informed that there is a race happening. Yeah, there's 550 debates and forums. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we're all at all of them. I got up yesterday morning. So I meditate from like 530 to 6.30, sometimes good at 6. Um, lately it's been like six in the morning. Wow. <laughs> um, I meditate from five 30 to six 30 in the morning and, um, I go downstairs, I'll have a cup of tea. I turn on the news. I'm in the kitchen and I hear every five minutes I'm running for mayor and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Um, and then you, you hear the news and it's, you know, you or someone else talking about the, the race, Allison King. So it, it is constant. So people know there's a race happening, but it isn't your your job in the media to make sure people turn out the vote. That's the job of the candidates. And I think that's where it's been lacking. So I do think the media's done a good job. Mm. Could y'all focus on some other things? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we could. Yes, we could. I want to talk politics and Prosecco yes. in the last five minutes. Talk to me. And listen, for folks who are just tuning in, dialing in, sis hooked us up with the Prosecco. <laughs> Might be popping bottles. Right, 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 right. Uh, so, do you see those moves, y'all? Do you see those moves? See? Terrible. Um, so <laughs> I'm here. I'm for an it. elder, yes. elder millennial. <laughs> Don't let me do the butterfly in here. Listen, it's a bop. The bop for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about politics and prosecco. Um, politics and prosecco you, airs weekly, or you do not. Tell me about what you're doing. So now. politics and Prosecco um, is Fridays at 6 p.m. on yes. Facebook Live. And I am uploading all of the videos into YouTube now. I'm trying to get it into like a podcast system. But what I do is I utilize my platform to inform and educate voters who may not be paying attention, who may not be as astute in politics as, you know, someone who is on CNN. Um, or I help to break things down for people because politicians love using a lot of jargon that makes absolutely no sense to anybody, myself included. And so I try to, you know, make it relatable to people. And that's what I've been able to use my platform to do. It's got quite a following. It's afforded me other opportunities like this and to be on um, NECN and I was on Fox um, mm -hmm. and I'll be on NBC 10 on Tuesday woo, woo. live yes. doing election commentary. Love it. But um it's a great space and we're not a gotcha show. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not here to humiliate people. I'm not here to intentionally call people out, 
Um, I use the platform to make people feel comfortable so that they can come and talk to me. Um, and so, and a lot of these people were my friends before they were elected officials. So it makes it easier for them to come on. And, you know, politics can be so dense too. That's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like, you know, you this need to. That's why some, we add the Prosecco. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you need someone to kind of like be the Sherpa for you. Like, sure. here's how this goes. Yeah. And, and it's a fun show because we not only just talk about politics, but I, I ask the, the politicians things about them that people may not know that also makes them relatable. Um, one of the shows we did with Anissa that kind of got a lot of attention was when she was running, when she was in the primary, um, there were questions about her identity all throughout the primary. Um, and so I just asked her, I was like, sis, how do you show up in the world? Who are you? Right. Um, and you know, to be honest, she was very authentic in her answer, whether people accepted it or not, it was her truth. And that's what I was trying to tell the viewers. We don't have to identify if she identifies that way. That's her business. It's her truth. And we have to respect that. But we also have to quell the conversation because this is much bigger than how she identifies. Right. Um, for me, at least. Right. It was an issue for me at first because as a black woman, I understand how people utilize our space to get ahead. Mm. Um, and that's not cool. Um, and I've expressed that to her. Um, same thing for Michelle Wu. As an Asian woman in a space where you are talking to black women, you talk to them from a space that they're in. It's meeting black women where they are. We are no longer as black women waiting for the opportunity to have to explain our pain to you anymore. Mm. You either come in the room knowing it and telling us how you are going to work with us. Say it. Then that is where that is where we want you to be. I'm not interested in what you think race relations are about. I'm not interested in what you think black women are about. I say this to brothers too. I'm not interested in who you think I should be. I'm interested in who you want me to be when I'm with you. Right. So it's the same thing. That is how I feel about politics. I'm not interested in what you think I should be. I want to know how you see me now and how we're going to get to this problem, fix it together. Excellent. Simple politics and Prosecco Fridays, 6 p.m., on Facebook. On Facebook. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter and IG and other places. <laughs> all right. Well, Jaquetta Van Zandt of Politics and Prosecco. And just like all things politics and amazing Thank and you. black girl magic Thank and like you. all the stuff. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. This is why I can't believe the hour's over. Yeah, I know, right? Like, listen, just yeah. we're, you're going to come on back, right? Oh, good. I hope so. Okay, good, <laughs> good, good. All right. Well, I'm Crystal Haynes. And remember, y'all, knowledge is power and power is change. We'll see you next time. Mark FM. Easy boy, make me dance. Daddy, make me dance. Lighting the airwaves. Spark FM. Upacafesa. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at sparkfmonline.com.